Awesome. Woo. Wonderful. Thank you guys so much, and I want to welcome you tonight. I'm Ron Thompson. I get to be one of the pastors here. Thank you so much for sharing part of your Christmas with us, and uh, just so glad that you're here. And we've been looking forward to this, praying about this opportunity for quite some time now, and we're just so glad that you came to help us celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. Well, as you heard from Emily just a few moments ago, uh, our church has been involved in the observance of Advent. And Advent allows us to, uh, what we hope and what we pray about is to slow down, to just slow down and that we can walk through this season where we reflect on Christmas in a different way. We reflect on Christmas from an angle of lighting candles, of observing opportunities. And so we've talked about hope, we've talked about love and joy and peace, and tonight we're going to come and we're going to talk about the opportunity that we all have to experience wonder, justice, flourishing. Now, when you hear that term justice right away, you're probably going, Christmas and justice, do they go together? I think you're going to see that they do. I think you're going to see how these actually flow as we want them to do, as we want them to do. So our theme is called Wonder, and where this idea came from is last year, right at Christmas time, I ran across a book, and the book was called Touching Wonder by a man named John Blaze, and uh, he's a poet, and so I love reading some of his poetry. He's a guy, he really writes for guys when he writes poetry, and he does an awesome job of doing that, but he has this book called Touching Wonder, and in the beginning of the book, as he's setting it up in the preface, this is what he says. I'm going to read it because it really, really spoke to me. He said, the author David James Duncan described the plastic shepherds from those Christmas dioramas of his youth as having slack-jawed expressions of wonder. So you get the picture here. Shepherds, they've come to the baby, they've heard the story, they've heard the promise, and their jaws are dropped like this. They're in awe. They are having a moment of wonder. And then he says this, there was a time in my life when the stories surrounding the birth of Jesus left me in the same state. However, for some reason or reasons, I lost the eyes to see or the ears to hear or maybe the heart to wonder. And then he said, I set out on a quest to read those stories again in hopes of recapturing a slacked jaw. Well, I can relate to that. I don't know about you. But I can recall that there's times when the Christmas story, especially as I was first learning it, and I was new in my faith in Jesus Christ, that it was a slack-jaw moment. I couldn't believe that there was a baby who was born of a virgin that came to earth and that he would die for me. And so I remember that sensation of just being in awe and wonder about that. But like John Blaze, I think there's times that we go through, all of us, where we come to that place where it's kind of like the Pledge of Allegiance Syndrome, you know, where it's like you just say the words, but you don't mean it anymore. Well, that's the way it can be with Jesus. That can actually be the way it is with Christmas, is that we can lose focus as we come to this time. And so what I hope to do tonight is to kind of instill a slacked jaw moment in all of us as we talk about this idea of wonder. Well, let's just define wonder. Here's what wonder means. Wonder is a feeling of amazement and admiration caused by something beautiful, remarkable, or unfamiliar. Wonder. Just an amazing thing. So I was thinking about this, and I remember when I was a kid, that when we would have the forecast of snow. 
And so as a kid, you would just always be waiting for that first snowflake because you couldn't wait to see it. And then the snow would start falling, and it would fall slowly, and you'd watch every flake that you could as it came down. And you would see it sometimes as it twirled down and as it piled up, and you would look at that, and you just had a sense of wonder. But there's just something that happens when you become an adult, and snow has an entirely different meaning. Especially when you think about shoveling and you think about getting stuck and you think about all the things that happen. You think about, oh, my kids aren't going to school. What am I going to do? Those kinds of things. And all of a sudden, snow loses its wonder. And then snow can become like yesterday's spectacular. And I'm looking for something new today that might thrill me in some way. Well, I tell you all this because I came across this article a couple of weeks ago that came with some pictures. And so I just want to kind of share a little bit from the article. And then we're going to look at some pictures in just a minute of snowflakes. And now, just it tells you a little bit about me. This came from a website called, let me look at it here, get it right, treehugger.com. Okay, so there you go. If you want to go to treehugger.com, you can find this article. <laughs> says this, one of the true wonders of the world are snowflakes, tiny designs made of ice that are so individual, so unique, so detailed, and so spectacular that it's hard to comprehend that they happen naturally and aren't pulled from the depths of our own imaginations. And then it included these wonderful photos of snowflakes that I person took as they went out into their deck and they had just the right lighting and just the right camera and they take, took pictures of snowflakes as they fell. I just want to show you some of them. It's spectacular. That's a snowflake. Isn't that amazing that just walk through some of these and you see them, the snowflakes. You know, a snowflake, I found out, actually starts with a particle of dust in a small cloud and a cloud, and then that particle of dust attracts some water, and then the water expands and grows into ice. And uh, I, just, a, just a little tidbit, that snowflakes form best at around 5 degrees Fahrenheit. So that's why they have to, have to be pretty high. And if they can form at 5 degrees, they do an amazing job. So isn't that, isn't that spectacular? All these, don't they look different? So I'm just thinking about that. I've always heard the old, old wives' tale that there's no two snowflakes that are alike. So of course I had to Google it because I wanted to find out if that's really true or if it's a wives' tale. And uh, from, from all I can tell, uh, from all the research that's been done, uh, one researcher actually said this, that there is so much snow that falls in one year on our planet that if, if somebody wanted to try to determine if there were two snowflakes alike, they would look under a microscope, it would take them 100,000 years to do that. Well, then last night, because I'm not an engineer brain in any way, I had somebody that has a little different brain than I do, and they came up, well, you can make two snowflakes that are identical, you know. We can do that with science <laughs> and engineering. I'm like, oh, great. So there we go. But if you go into nature, it's really hard to find two snowflakes that are alike. And so when you look at these pictures, it, it just makes me want to go, wow, slack-jawed moment. So I'm looking at what God has done, what God has created. And I would say, wow, is the moment is the word that I would want us to kind of walk away with today, that we'd have, wow, look at what God has done. Look at the wonder of what he's done. And we think about, we look at a, a snowflake, we look at a brilliant sunset. You know, it's just awesome. We live, the church is right here on Sunset Ridge, and so every night in the winter, it's glorious as we get to see the sunsets from our place. We can have the awe of a baby smile, a surprise gift that might come, a meaningful word or touch, something that's amazing or remarkable or just a surprise. 
That's why I have a prayer for us tonight. That prayer comes from Psalm 17. And it says this in Psalm 17, a prayer to God. I call on you, my God, for you will answer me. And I believe that too. I believe that God's going to speak to every person here tonight. He will answer this prayer. Turn your ear to me and hear my prayer. Show me the wonders of your great love. We're going to focus on this idea of love tonight, only it's going to come from an angle that's going to really surprise us. But my desire is that every one of us would walk out of here knowing that God loves us. I would just say to you tonight that God loves you. I can attest to this, that God loves you no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what anyone says about you. God loves you, and you can trust that. You can believe that, and as you learn to receive that, then you can actually enter into relationship with him and walk with him through life. So our approach to Advent has been walking through Psalms that Emily talked about just a little bit ago. A little bit different, but it's been very meaningful for our church family. And as we've gone through these Psalms, we've looked at Psalms that have a promise about the coming Messiah. And so we use this verse from 2 Corinthians 1.20 to kind of help us to understand what we were looking for. This is what Paul wrote. He said, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. So we're looking at promises in the Old Testament. We said when Jesus came, they are stamped by God to say, yes, these are true. This is reality. And it says this, and so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. So we are agreeing with God that what he said is true and that Jesus was the promised Messiah. So the psalm is full of promises or prophecies concerning the Messiah and his arrival upon the earth, and they were fulfilled in Jesus. So what I'm going to do is just really simple tonight. I'm going to focus on two descriptions, two promises, two prophecies of what this coming Messiah would be like. All, both of them come from Psalm 72. It's just going to be really simple as we do this. But let me just set it up, just so you know. Psalm 72 is called a royal psalm. Now, there are 10 royal psalms in the psalm book, the psalms of the Old Testament, of which it is one. And they're called royal psalms because of two things. One, they're referring to an earthly king. So when the, the prayer is prayed, it's for the earthly king to do these things, for the earthly king to carry out these acts for them. But then it's also referring forward to an eternal king, to a coming king. And so they call them royal psalms for today, the king on the throne, and then tomorrow, the king that would come, Jesus Christ, that he would be the king of kings and he would sit on his throne. So we're going to look at two things about the wow of discovering God's promise. And the first is this, explore the wonderful promise of justice. There's a wonderful promise in justice that God gives. So the psalmist is praying. He's praying that God would send a king and that that king would bring justice to the land. Justice here, just so we know before we get into this, justice means the divine ability to know what is right. The divine ability to know what is right and to carry it out. And to carry it out. It's a way that looks at situations, looks at circumstances through not my own thoughts, not my own ideas, not through popular opinion, but I look at that through what God says and through divine truth, what he says, not by what others say. And so as we go through this, I just want to remember this. So the Psalms are songs, okay? They're songs written for God's people that they would actually sing. 
and, or chant in some way. And so what I want to do is we go through this tonight. I just want you to think about this is a song. Now, I'm not going to sing it to you. I'll spare you that, okay? So I'm not singing tonight, okay? But what we're going to do is I'm going to read these. And just like a song, we had three songs done here that we sang, and then we had a song right after that. I, I'm not going to elaborate on the songs because the songs speak for themselves. I'm going to make a couple of comments as we read this. If you'll just remember with me, this is a song that's being sung, okay? It begins this way. So, prayer and song of prayer. Endow the king with your justice, O God, the royal son with your righteousness. May he judge your people in righteousness. Let me just stop a minute. Righteousness. That's kind of a scary word for some of us. It's kind of a lofty word. Because what does righteousness actually mean? Well, righteousness means being in right relationship with God. It doesn't mean perfection. It means that I know what God's asked me to do, and to the best of my ability, I'm doing what God's asked me to do. That I know who God wants me to be, how he wants me to act, and to the best of my ability, I'm doing what he wants me to be and to act. So righteousness. You're afflicted ones with justice. May the mountains bring prosperity. I'm going to talk about prosperity again in just a little while, but the word is shalom. So we'll remember that when we come back to this in a little bit. To the people, the hills, the fruit of righteousness, may he defend the afflicted. Here's what justice is all about. May he defend the afflicted among the people and save the children of the needy. May he crush the oppressor. And then it goes on in verse 12 and says this again, more singing about Jesus being the coming king who would bring justice. For he will deliver the needy who cry out. And a woman stopped me after first service, and she just looked at me, and she said, why is Christmas so hard? I said, can you help me know more what you're saying? She just, it's just hard. And she said, would you pray with me? And so I promised I would pray with her. And so sort of between the services, I went back and prayed. And uh, here's a person who was saying, I am needy. I I need help. I need perspective. And this is what the Messiah came to bring. The afflicted who have no one to help. We live in a world where there are all kinds of people that are uh, put down, pressed down, and that they are put in places where they have no rights, no voices, and no way of getting out of the dilemma they're in. The afflicted ones. That's who Jesus came for. He will take pity on the weak and the needy, and save the needy from death. He will rescue them from oppression and violence. For precious is their blood in his sight. Wow. You know, the Bible says that when we cry tears, that God collects all of our tears, every person's individual tears in a bottle. But here it talks about our blood, our literal blood. And it says our blood is precious in his sight, his sight. And so he looks at us with compassion. He wants to judge so that we can have what is right done to us. 
So the, the psalmist is basically longing for the wrong to be made right. That's what he's longing for, the wrong to be made right, as we sing about in our Christmas carols. He's anticipating justice for everyone who's been overlooked, everyone who's been discriminated against or oppressed. He's longing for someone who will come, who will give voice to the voiceless, that someone will come and give hope to the hopeless. He could be calling out like Dr. Martin Luther King dreamed and called out himself. He's longing for justice to roll down the hills that we all could experience it. And we just live in a time, folks, where people need others to step up for them. And Jesus says, I've come to step up for them. And I'll just say this at the end of our time together today, and he's called his church to do the same thing, to stand in the gap. Our world is crying out for justice, just as the psalmist is crying out to God, the God of justice, to bring justice into his world, and then that the coming Messiah would bring justice into our world. So right now, we're living between in the gap. We're living in the gap between what's wrong and what's right, between the promise and the fulfillment of the promise. And this, this psalm predicts a coming king who will bring justice for all who cannot accomplish it on their own. Justice. Now, second, I think in order to have this wow of the promise, the second thing in these verses is that we're going to explore the wonderful promise of flourishing. Now, it's going to be a little lighter now. The promise of flourishing. Now, we all want to flourish, right? We all want to be, you know, have, every, have green grass. We want to have everything that grows. We want our paychecks to come in, and there have to be money in the bank that the paycheck can be cashed. We all want to flourish in some way. So here's how the psalmist describes the benefits of the rule of this king. Verse 5. May he endure as long as the sun, as long as the moon, through all generations. May he be like rain falling on a mown field, like showers watering the earth. In his days, may the righteous flourish and prosperity, shalom, abound till the moon is no more. Doesn't that sound like flourishing? Sound like the kind of place that we want to be? It goes on, it says this, Long may he live, may gold from Sheba be given him, may people ever pray for him and bless him all day long, may grain abound throughout the land, it's fruitful. On the tops of the hills may it sway, may the crops flourish like Lebanon and thrive like the grass of the field. So what the psalmist is doing right here is he's tapping into something inside of him that taps into something that's inside of every one of us, every single one of us. We are drawn to beauty. And the reason we're drawn to beauty is that within us is this inner desire that we would go back to the Garden of Eden, that we would go back to perfection, that we would go back to the place where humans ultimately flourished in the most amazing of ways, as God designed it to be. And so the psalmist is picturing this. He said, we're not going to get back to the Garden of Eden apart from Jesus Christ's second coming. And so what I'm praying for is I'm praying for a leader who will make things better, who will make things better. He's picturing this leader who comes with justice, who says, I'm going to rule from what's divinely right, but I'm going to do it with compassion because I'm going to do it for what's best for you, not what's best for me. He's praying for that kind of leader. Folks, a great leader is someone who puts what's right and combines it with what's best for the people. That's a great leader, and that's the leader that 
the psalmist is praying will come. Now, I'm going to comment just a minute on that shalom idea. We talked about this last Sunday, so if you missed last Sunday or if you're new and you weren't here, you can go to our website, and on our website, we have an archive of services, and every service that we've done forever, you can find on our website, but last Sunday, we talked about peace. So as Kim spoke last Sunday, she talked about this idea of shalom, and as I was doing my study this week, I came across a a definition of shalom that really ties in with what I'm talking about tonight, and this is what Neil Platinga says. He says in the Bible... Shalom means universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight, a rich state of affairs in which natural needs are satisfied and natural gifts are fruitfully employed, a state of affairs that inspires joyful wonder as its creator and savior opens doors and welcomes the creatures in whom he delights. Shalom, in other words, is the way things ought to be. If you're part of our family, you know that we use this definition for shalom. Nothing broken, nothing missing, everything as it ought to be. That's what God says he came to bring, is that reality, that ability for us to live in that. So when we're crying out for prosperity, when we're crying out for shalom, we're crying out for justice. When we cry out for God to come and bring us shalom, we're crying out for flourishing. So what we're doing is we're saying, God, would you make everything around me that's not right, would you make it wrong? I mean, that is wrong, would you make it right? Everything that's broken, God, would you make it whole? Everything that represents hurt, would you bring healing? Everything around us that's not as it intended to be, would you transform it and make it as it was intended to be, God? Would you do that? Would you do that, God? He goes on to sing this in verse 15. May his name endure forever. May it continue as long as the sun, then all nations will be blessed through him, and they will call him blessed. If you know your Bible, there's a little bit, there's a, a, it's drawing us back to the promise, the covenant that God made with Abraham here. Then all nations will be blessed through him, and they will call him blessed. Praise be to the Lord God, the God of Israel, who alone does marvelous deeds. Praise be to his glorious name forever. And this is the key. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. So what that's doing is all this description is what the king will come to bring. And then the last, last sentence. But it's not coming now. This is what has been revealed to you, and this is what you can look forward to. This is what will come when Jesus Christ comes again. And right now, you live in your Advent time. You live in the time between the promise and the realization of that promise. So this verse is promising that moment when everything will be made right. As the Bible says, when all tears will be wiped away, when all disease will be destroyed, where all pain will be relieved, where all hurt will be healed, where all fractured relationships will be whole. It's a day for us to long for and one that God says is coming. And it's a day of wonder. We can live with wonder today as we look forward to God's promise of tomorrow. So back to Christmas. Back to Christmas. Luke 1 says this. Zachariah is writing. He's just had a baby named John. His wife did, not Zechariah. I don't think they did that back then. And so he had, his wife had a baby. And so he's, now he can hear and he can speak. And so um, this is what he says. 
Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come. I'll just stop right there. He has come. He has come to his people, and he has redeemed them. You think about snowflakes. Snowflakes fall. Snowflakes come from heaven to earth. As they come, and I've seen these kinds of snows several times in my life. Where it starts out, you see snow falling, the snow gets thicker and thicker and thicker in the air, and all of a sudden you see it start piling up, piling up, piling up, until the deck is covered, the railings are covered, the car is covered, the sidewalk is covered, and it's feet or two feet deep, and everything is enveloped in snow. Everything. And it's quiet, and it's still. And there's very little movement. The snow has changed reality. Well, here's the reality I want to share. Jesus came from heaven. He came from heaven. And he, when he came from heaven, he brought his love to earth. And Jesus wants to envelop us in his love. He wants for us to have his love like a snuggly blanket all around us that we're sensing him and we're feeling him. He came to bring us a love that offers flourishing and justice. He came with a promise to love us. He came with a promise to change us. He came with a promise to take our hurts and to make them well. He came with a love that offers us hope and joy and peace that in spite of all circumstances, he came to bring a love that was even stronger than my sinful condition, that he would love me even though I had sin in my life, even though there was no perfection, that he would come to me and he would make me whiter than snow. It's a love that inspires us to be part of bringing wonder to our world. I just want you to think about that. When heaven came to earth, heaven came to earth that Jesus brought love to us. And I believe that that will create great wonder in us. So let's listen and watch this song. Teenage girl and her soon-to-be A simple trip far as they could see The sky was clear and the hour serene But did they know what the night would bring?
So when we see the wonder of what God has done, heaven came down. There was a baby who was born that was God. God. But he didn't come to just wield that over us. He came so that he could show us how much he loves us. And when we know that and experience that, that's wonderful. That's a slack-jawed moment when we're able to see him in that way. I'm going to ask if you bow your heads now. I'd just like to lead us and guide us in a prayer. Oh, God, I thank you so much for Jesus. I thank you for what he means to me, and I thank you for what he means to so many others. Lord, I just thank you that you sent him to earth for us, that he would come as a baby, but then he would grow to be a man, a man who walked the planet, that showed us what you're like, that taught us what it's like to be in relationship with you, that we can be loved by you, as he called you Abba, Father. I thank you for that 
relationship we can know. That you came because you wanted every person to know you, God. Every person to be in relationship with you. So I just pray tonight that there's one that's never said yes to you. Tonight would be the night. You don't have to understand everything. Just yes. Yes, I'll follow you. I want to receive your love in my life. I have sinned and I want to be forgiven. I want to be cleansed. Yes, Jesus. Help me to learn what it's like to walk with your Father. And God, I now want to pray for us as we think about our world. We think about justice and flourishing. I want to pray for us as a church. God, I pray that we would be part of your redemption. That we wouldn't turn our head or close our eyes to the injustice of the world that's all around us, the hurting, the poor, the oppressed, the homeless, the prisoners, God, that you would show us how, as a church, you want us to be your hands and feet in this world. We want to be with you in bringing justice and bringing flourishing for righting the wrongs, for then being, bring, helping people to be fruitful with their lives and what they do. God, I pray that that would be who you want us to be as a church. And we could commit to that. And we love you, God, and we want to know you more. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.